Hello and welcome to Wavemakers, the podcast where we get to know the ocean and water tech and the people behind these blue technologies that are destined to become climate solutions. I'm Tamara Khan, your chief mate on this blue tech expedition aboard the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And today I'm so excited to have another truly intriguing guest on the show. I've only just recently met her at this past October's Climate Week in New York City. But Danielle Southcott is the visionary leader at the helm of Veer Voyage, a company that's making waves in the world of shipping. There's a lot of talk about clean shipping these days, and from what I've seen, quite a lot of money going into finding solutions. But before we cast off into this interesting and inspiring journey that she's currently on, I have to do something I'm not comfortable with. But as I encourage the startups I work with to do it, I have to lead by example. That's right, I have an ask. I, along with the team at Coastal News Today that produce the wonderful podcasts you hear on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, are looking for sponsorship for our podcasts. This is a unique opportunity to reach a diverse audience through the airwaves, as well as via placement on the Coastal News Today website and often social media. This is a particularly crucial time to sponsor, as your participation will ensure we can have programming next year, as well as individual, we'll call them channels, for our podcasts. Those make it easier to follow the hosts you love and find the content you're looking for. So if you're interested or want to learn more, contact me via LinkedIn or email tyler at coastalnewstoday.com. You can also visit coastalnewstoday forward slash advertising. Okay, with all that out of the way, I can get back to telling you how fortunate I feel to have had the opportunity to get to know Danielle a little bit at a good old-fashioned slumber party, arranged by another founder and new friend, Brigitte Leoden. Okay, not a real slumber party, but a shared accommodation. You see, attending a conference in, in New York City is pretty expensive, so if you're a startup, it's not a bad idea to share. Anyway, getting to know Danielle as a person and finding out some of the incredible things she's already accomplished in life was so much fun for me. A kindred sailing and adventuring spirit, she even reminded this first-time mom who's feeling pretty removed from that maritime world of the ingenuity, resourcefulness, gratitude, and even lightheartedness of maritime folks. I hope you'll all see some glimpses of that in our conversation today. So Danielle, thank you for taking the time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tamara. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, we're really glad to have you. And honestly, I have no idea how I can keep this episode short because I just think there is such, it's, this is such an interesting topic and you're such an interesting thought leader. And I guess we're going to start as I start every episode of Wavemakers by getting to know you and your background a bit. So tell us a little bit, Danielle, how did you get here? Oh, first of all, you're so kind. That's such a generous introduction. Thank you. Um, to, to introduce myself, my name is Danielle, and I'm originally from the Great Lakes of Canada. So I'm from north of Kingston, Ontario. And I started sailing on tall ships at age 13 on the Brigantine St. Lawrence II. And I, I really fell in love with sailing and being out on the water. And eventually that led me to work on a bit of a activist or almost renegade uh, ship called Tres Hombres, which is operated by Fair Transport. And we sailed 18,000 bottles of rum from the Dominican Republic across the Atlantic Ocean to Calais, France with no engine. And we unloaded almost 18,000 bottles of rum when we got there. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
so yeah that that was around that was around 12 years ago and that was uh when my journey started with clean shipping how amazing so okay you you grew up in a place where you were exposed to the sailing in the water and then you felt some sort of calling for the the activists side um I, it's so interesting to me to hear that you were sailing at 13 and jumped into uh, hauling rum the old fashioned way. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing was despite having been on the water since age 13 and sailing around and, and I sailing around Europe as well, I had, and in the Caribbean by that time, I, I just hadn't thought about shipping and it, it sounds so, so ignorant, but I didn't think about the environmental impacts of the shipping industry, even though I was out on the water. And when I did start working for that company, it opened my eyes to not only the environmental situation caused by shipping, but how much potential there is to make a positive change and bring some innovation to the shipping sector. Okay. I have to say that I don't think it sounds ignorant at all. I feel like this is one of the reasons I'm so happy to have you on the show because I feel like the overwhelming majority of people doesn't realize how much of the goods that they're getting are being shipped by sea and the impact that it has on the ocean, on the atmosphere, on our world, on our on finances. Like it's there's I think 80% of goods are transported by sea. So the volume is huge and there's been a growing push to change things. So I think you're on the the early end of it and I'm glad you are. But um you noticed it. I mean, I Danielle, my background's in oil and I was doing oil surveys for a long time before I looked around and was like, okay, I gotta find a different life for myself. I want to do something else. So it it's whatever wakes you up and changes you know, opens your eyes to it. And I feel like you're doing a good job of that for other people. Saying that, you have gotten to travel a lot and see a lot. And what what is exactly the goal for Veer Voyage? Is that that's the name of the company, Veer Voyage fully, right? Yeah, well the name we call is a uh, Veer Group, but all of our social media handles are Veer.voyage and our website. So it's all it's all good. Um, our, our, my vision really with Veer is to first and foremost, in a very tangible sense, deploy the first clean container ship to cross an ocean. And so that's a very realistic near-term goal that we should be able to deliver on like, uh, within the next 24 months approximately. And so that is basically to show people that it's possible that we can use completely renewable energy to propel a vessel. But looking a little farther down the line, what I hope Veer as a company can do is expand from not just putting out one design of one ship, but really re-envisioning what a shipping and energy industry can look like and, and trying to put in all kinds of innovations that the Goliath shipping companies right now are not doing. Okay. So you said a, a lot there. I'd love to unpack. One thing was your goal is realistic. Are you seeing in the shipping industry a lot of uh, unrealistic goals? Like I know people are looking to solve these problems 
and, and decarbonize? Uh, do you feel like you see a lot that's not going to work or isn't quite thought through? And are you feeling you're, you're doing something different? It's it's such an interesting time to be keeping a close eye on the shipping industry. In it's there are so many different things in terms of designs of ships, new routes opening up in terms of the Northwest Passage as the ice melts. If we want to look at different forms of energy, new types of uh, propellers and thrusters, and different um, different values being brought forward by the client. So. Uh, individual or companies such as Ikea, Patagonia, Unilever, Amazon, they are beginning to demand clean shipping. And it's kind of making all of these amazing spinoffs. And definitely some of them are a little bit of pipe dream or pie in the sky or not founded in technical or engineering reality. But that that's okay, because we're working towards different goals. And there's different inspirations when when you share an idea. A lot of the things I am seeing are quite realistic, but at the same time, I think there's this gold standard. So Veer has been described on multiple occasions by by individuals as a, the gold standard, which is at the point of the ship, so at the propulsion, we are described as absolute zero emission as defined by the International Maritime Organization. And that is 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 very challenging to achieve for vessels that can cross an ocean. And so to be able to provide a realistic, tangible, you know, technology readiness level nine to even 10 for all of our components for an absolute zero emission vessel that can cross an ocean, that that is quite unique. It sounds unique. I, I have to ask you absolute zero. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about clean shipping. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, that is something I talk about all the time. And I even did my first uh, opinionated LinkedIn post yesterday, which I was so nervous writing about what what does clean mean? What does zero mean? And how these terms are currently being, some people would say manipulated, uh, different words that um, describe how the meaning of the word clean and zero is changing. And of course, when you start talking about the shipping industry, you immediately hear about future fuels or e-fuels, and they come with a whole rainbow color-coded <laughs> reference. You need like a whole dictionary just to understand all of that. But how I have educated myself and the golden rule that makes it really simple for me is if combustion is involved, the propulsion isn't clean. And that uh, allows me to sort of sift through. And, and by clean, I mean no toxic greenhouse gases emitted for propulsion at the point of propulsion. So not just carbon, um, carbon dioxide, but other greenhouse gases also. Absolutely. A big word, a buzzword right now in the shipping industry that you'll see a lot of think tanks uh, and zero carbon centers, shipping centers, really focus on this term of decarbonization, which I'm sure you would probably see across sectors. I just don't, I can't speak to that. But when we fixate or obsess over the word decarbonization, it is essentially allowing us to pretend that other greenhouse gases don't exist. And a, a really simple example is nitrous oxide, so N2O, and that is a product uh, of, I believe, incom incomplete combustion or slip or loss with ammonia as a fuel. And so you'll see a lot of uh, shipping folks that are pro-ammonia, which I'm not commenting on, 
um, they'll say, you know, zero carbon fuel, but they're not taking the picture, the whole picture into account that there are many different types of greenhouse gases. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. The focus is very often on decarbonization, but other greenhouse gases, nitrous oxide, I think, for instance, has more impact of than carbon dioxide, like over 200 times that one pound to one pound comparison. So it, it, this gets really complicated. I, I remember learning in grad school about how each of these greenhouse gases lasts in the atmosphere and their impact long-term. It's, it's, there's a lot to unpack there too. So I won't, I'll digress. But what, what, <laughs> what is interesting to me is that I did see that, that LinkedIn post of yours and really appreciated your thought leadership firstly, and how people, I was so impressed. People joined the conversation, asked you questions, challenged you in, in the replies and, it, it just led to more conversation and questions being answered. And I, I really like seeing that on social media rather than a, than a battle. How can we look at all the details and really get to it? So let me ask you, why, why do you think you got that kind of response? Like you, you have all this experience. You're a female, you're a captain, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You've been on tall ships. What, what is it about you that makes you a leader and Veer seems to be going so well? What, what do you think it is that you're doing right? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I, I can say that I think at, at least with that post yesterday, which is, uh, is not how I'm always received, but it was so refreshing to have an extremely healthy dialogue around it. And I even made... Uh, like an error in the post and people were just really gentle and they wanted to have that discussion. I think potentially why I'm able to have some of that success or resonate with people is, you know, just a combination of of my experiences. And I've, I've been so lucky to live in a number of countries around the world and meet so many different people in different walks of life when you work on ships uh, from the ultra rich working on their yachts to, you know, real kind of anarchist hippies and 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 being able to, with with humility, navigate from their perspective and try try to have a bit of empathy and, and understand where people are coming from, and I think when we choose to have empathy and listen to others and try to see things from their perspective, it brings a lot of walls down and communication can flow a lot easier. Well, I know it was a. A loaded question, and that I couldn't imagine a better answer. <laughs> that music to my ears. I agree very much that uh, sort of leading with empathy seems to yield a much better result. Um, and mm -hmm. further, I agree. Having worked on ships myself, I I meet no better people, more resourceful and impressive and innovative and genuine than the people I meet at sea. So. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that clearly has helped you develop as a person too. So glad to have you leading this charge. What do you think maybe some of the obstacles that you you have to overcome or are overcoming um, exist? What Which obstacles are related to the adoption of this clean shipping and Veer's technology are you facing? 
Oh, there's so many obstacles, to opportunities. Very <laughs> um, well put. <laughs> yeah, there are so many. I mean, uh, a pretty obvious one is that I'm a relatively young woman, uh, and that is not not common at all to have a startup in the shipping industry founded by a young-ish lady. Um, <laughs> so that that can go both ways as a benefit or a drawback. But I think just in terms of the business. There is a, a lot of confusion or um, disbelief or uh, healthy questioning of what do, uh, of what am I presenting? Is this actually tangible? Is this a technology that we can believe in? When she says zero, what does that mean? Does it mean net zero with a whole bunch of other asterisks and footnotes? And uh, making this come to life and bringing this ship, this first sort of prototype realistic vessel, which is absolute zero emission as defined by the IMO, International Maritime Organization. Well, I believe that once people see that renewable energy can actually deliver, it's it's going to break down a lot of walls for people. And, and just to explain, we're using existing technology, we're combining existing technology from other vendors in an innovative manner. So our first ship design, which is uh, really creatively called design number one is <laughs> is we'll be using hydrogen fuel cells so compressed gas of green hydrogen uh, which is a color that i choose to affix but it would be any hydrogen gas and we will be having pem fuel cells uh, which i very unfortunately forget what pem stands for right now uh, something membrane fuel cells <laughs> and with an electric engine and batteries. So this is not to say that the whole picture will not have carbon or any footprint. Of course it will, the building of a ship has a, has a, a footprint. Um, but we're using, we're combining this technology with the DynaRig, which is an amazing sort of futuristic sailing rig originally designed in the 1960s. And we're going to be combining that technology in an innovative way, which allows us to make the impossible happen, which is sail across the ocean with cargo completely emission-free. I'm excited to see that day, I must say. And I I can imagine you're right. As soon as it's shown that it can be done, it will sort of start the domino effect of a lot of change. I, I actually love that you went there with the ship. The Veer vessel, the picture, the image that I've seen from your presentation looks amazing, looks sleek and modern. And essentially, it's a tall ship, and your backup is hydrogen fuel cells. Is that what I'm understanding? Yep, that's correct. And what is the benefit of the hydrogen as well? So our vessel is classified uh, by the American Bureau of Shipping as a primary wind propulsion vessel. So our main engine are the sails. Our backup engine is an electric motor, which is uh, effectively powered by green hydrogen gas. And we will be able to sail the vessel in ideal conditions at 18 knots, which is really quite fast for a vessel of this size. And if we're motoring or driving around, uh, we'll be going a little bit more like 11 knots. So in theory, the electric engine is used more for as a supplement or in emergency situations or coming into port or as well when we're looking at our weather routing across the ocean. If we know that there's a really advantageous weather system a little to the north or a little to the south of us, we can be using that engine uh, in addition to our sails to get to the best sailing area. 
that's pretty neat. I bet there's a lot that goes with that, like helping navigate. So just a little um, propulsion to get to the better route and catch the winds. That's um, something that old time sailors didn't have, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. And I've been on these engineless sailing ships sitting in the doldrums and people go crazy. I mean, I think it's easier from what I've seen from people I sail with. uh, I think it's easier for most people to deal with really rough, scary, heavy weather because you sort of band together as a crew and you're there for each other and you're looking out for each other. But when there's no wind and you're just sitting, people are going mental. So that's a quick (laughs) diversion here, but, um, the doldrums. You mentioned sitting in the doldrums. I love that terminology, and I'm not sure most people know that it comes from something real. So would you tell what you know about sitting in the doldrums? Oh, sure. Uh, I don't have a you know reference <laughs> definition off the top of my head, but the doldrums are loosely um, the equatorial belt, so around the, center, the middle of the earth, and there are very little wind, very, very little winds there. And essentially, if you get stuck in the doldrums in in that equatorial belt with no wind, you could be there for weeks. And people will refer to the doldrums as anywhere where they're just sort of sitting idle with no wind, no energy to propel them. I love that. And I, I think people use it in, a few people use it in everyday speak now to describe how they're feeling low energy, can't get moving. So I hope listeners will take that away. If you ever have one of those days when you're in the doldrums, you mentioned how you get questions about the wind and how it sometimes gets people thinking like, what if there is no wind? And what if the world changes and the wind stops? Do you, do you get a lot of questions of, you know, just skepticism on how you're going to make this really happen? Oh man, I definitely get skepticism. I would say sometimes I'm even, I have definitely been verbally attacked, called a liar, uh, called out in front of crowds saying inappropriate things like, you know, about what I'm claiming. And I think that people would not treat, um, you know, I don't want to generalize. This is my personal life experience and my personal opinion, but I don't want to generalize. But I think if I wasn't, uh, you know, a 30 something year old woman or like a 29 year old when I started this, um, I don't think they would speak to a man like that. And people really, really question me. And and I've come to learn how to deal with those questions. But it's also to answer your question more directly, it is good when I like when I see people and they're really thinking and they're looking at me and they're asking questions about how are we interacting with renewable energy? How can we interact with natural uh, sort of clean sources of energy? And instead of having a stockpile of a form of fossil fuel, whether that's coal or oil or what have you, now we're, we're thinking about a more dynamic type of energy when we're especially talking about solar or wind, whether it's sails or a turbine, and they start thinking about that. And and if they're having a healthy uh, challenge or a healthy question to me, I'm very excited to engage with them and say, yes, it's a different world. Of course, we can store in batteries and we can stockpile that energy. But just acknowledging how working with the earth and the natural systems is different is really exciting. Absolutely. I think those healthy questions are something we always encourage our startups at Seaworthy to engage with their clients and people because 
when you get the hard questions, you can kind of co-create your solution and improve it so that you're you're ready to face those things. I mean, you can't know everything. So having input is great. But I'm really glad you brought up the the female perspective as well, because having worked on a ship and in a male-dominated industry for my whole career, I, I feel you. Um, <laughs> sometimes you really have to stand up as tall as you can and, and speak your, your truth and, and get hurt. So I'm sorry that you've had those experiences and just think it's wonderful to have a woman with your experience, with your knowledge, with your background, looking at this, trying to open people's minds and change, change the rhetoric, change the perspective, even a, a little shove forward is is a big move in this industry and it's really important and it's such an exciting time i think we're i mean again this is my only perspective for the only time i've lived that i know of that it's such an exciting time where we have so much more inclusion so much more diversity we're talking about different forms of energy and participation and it's it's the first time that in in this lifetime i think that this level of exploration of diversity for social and uh, technological advances is, is happening. And I think it's it's just really exciting. I can't wait to see what in 15, 20 years from now, what solutions have made an impact and which solutions are still there and what kind of leaders we have and, and the youth movement that we see. It's like, they're so engaged. It's so cool. So yeah, I find it all really inspiring. That's a perfect transition to where I wanted to go next, Danielle. I wanted to ask you about (laughs) collaborations and partnerships and if there's anything that's either been instrumental in, you know, your development and, and some, some success and traction that you have, um, or if there's anything you're looking for or need in terms of partnerships. Well, I'm very, very happy to speak about my team. I love my team. I think they're amazing. We wouldn't be here without the team. We work a lot with uh, international and or multinational companies and and contractors. So we're very lucky to be working with some of the top level people in their field. So for example, the branding is from Kind Worldwide in Norway. We have our law firm, which is Blank Rome, um, and we have uh, Alan C. McClure and Associates Naval Architects, Dykstra Naval Architects, Brooks Bell, like our team is from all over the world. And it's, they are just amazing. And the, the, in, the thing that really inspires me is that a number of my team members or their companies are headquartered in Houston, Texas, which is somewhere that I had zero uh, experience with prior to this and as someone coming from a tree hugger from Canada I basically (laughs) associate Houston with you know uh, offshore and oil and this sort of thing so to have industry leaders and professional high-level companies stepping up and saying they believe in this and joining my team and and propelling it forward is is so cool I, I never expected that how fantastic. Well, I'm based in Austin. I lived in Houston for several years. And again, a place of amazing culture and a lot of intelligent industry-leading people. So I'm very happy to hear that you've got some some backing from that part of the world. Um, I've, I've been to your neck of the woods, actually, with some of those people from Houston. I, well, well, 
I've been, you're in Nova Scotia. Is that right? That's right. Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. What a cool spot. I, uh, I have to get over there. I've been a little further north to St. John's. I got screeched in. And oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> did it properly as a sailor. So, um, but it was fun to see people from Houston get the Canadian experience, the, the northern experience. So um, that's a conversation you and I can have another time over a beer or something. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> um, great to hear that there's there's backing from all sorts of industries as well. Um, do you feel like there's there's obviously a lot of interest, so that means there's a lot of money looking for solutions? I mean, the shipping industry, I don't even recall, like it depends what you look up and there's so many different figures, but it's a a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? And again, as you said, uh, between 80 and 90% of everything is moved by ships, ocean going vessels. So in in one ship will cost, you know, (laughs) I mean, the new Canadian icebreakers, which are a special class of vessel are $10 billion Canadian. So $7 billion US per ship, which is a really extreme example. But there's huge amounts of money happening here because it is heavy asset, heavy industry uh, in some of the most challenging places to go in the world, you know, the oceans. And there's, there's a lot at stake and they have a long lifespan, relatively speaking, for an investment. It's, it's the minimum lifespan of one of these vessels is 25 years. And so you need to have a robust business model in which you can say and justify that type of investment. And there's a huge amount of money in that area. Now, I would say that in my experience and discussions with venture capitalists, investors, uh, uh, incubators, accelerators, banks, I mean, financiers, capital uh, management companies, there's a lot of money on the horizon for this type of thing, clean energy in shipping, or the decarbonization, as they say, track for for shipping. But in terms of deployment of that capital, I would say there's a lot of hesitation. And I've been in some closed rooms and high level rooms where the, I've heard like the, the leaders of these banks or people almost yelling at their personnel and say, if you don't deploy this capital, it will be removed. So it's interesting. Yeah. And that was so interesting to hear because I think there are so many ideas right now and the technology is quite young for a lot of it. And there's so many diverse applications and renewable energy is a non-commodifiable fuel. So it's very, it's a very different landscape. And I think a lot of people who are managing that those funds potentially are a bit nervous to deploy it. And they don't, this is what I've heard from a number of them. And you know, they're asking me a number of these different venture capitalists. I remember one conversation specifically, the, the, the lady was asking me, why do you think it is that we can't invest more in tidal energy generation? Why is it that it doesn't work? And it's basically, it's a non-commodifiable renewable energy source just has a very different portfolio than a normal for-profit pipeline. And it's challenging. And I think the finance sector has to has to start deploying some of that dedicated capital that they're sitting on. Absolutely. Anything you would suggest that we can give them to help them? Like what people do we need? I look a lot at, you know, reskilling 
workforce and what what does this blue tech industry need to help those venture capitalists and funders in general know what to do with their money well i would say is a little bit more clarity and they need to invest in learning a little bit more about the differences between a traditional fossil fuel based uh, startup or or what what are those additional revenue streams or different additional values that a clean tech company is bringing to that and that is acknowledging the cost of climate change acknowledging the cost of uh, cities going underwater and acknowledging some of these crises and and taking a much more holistic look at what am I talking about? What am I looking at? When this startup is presenting something to me, what kind of bottom line and return on investment are we really talking about here? Because it has been, I would say, startups and companies and financiers previous to this, it's like they have their blinders on. It's literally only the dollar figure. And now, because of climate change catastrophes, I think we need to start investing in understanding the bigger picture and looking a little further down the line. So longer term investments and understanding the positive implications of those longer term investments. I think well said. Um, It feels like when I listen to founders and present, it, it seems like the burden is often on them to explain that sort of other forms of capital in, in including intellectual and, fi- and environmental and social capital exists besides the financial side of things. So I think you you bring up a great point that uh, anybody listening that's a founder, you have to remember that when you're talking to people, they may not have the holistic view, as Danielle mentions. I'm going to just, I got two more questions for you before we wrap. And I really, I just wanted to get like, your long-term aspiration, like in your dreams, what would would happen in the next 10 years? Oh, I think we, I dream and I believe that we are going to see a real expansion of clean technology being deployed, definitely in the shipping industry, but just in energy and infrastructure in general. So I think about Veer as not just a shipping company, but as a shipping and energy company. And then in that way, I, I would love to see and be part of the transition towards a positive, renewable future. And I think it's going to take a, a bit of a, a little bit of a revolutionary stuff. And we see that happening, especially again with the, the youth groups where they're just saying enough is enough. And I'm really excited to see all these startups that I look to my left and I look to my right and I see all these amazing clean tech and clean energy uh, climate startups and I can't wait to see them make the difference that they want to make. I, I, I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of um, general public driven motivation here and obviously you know people are getting all their goods from Amazon and shipping back and forth. And I mean, not to single out Amazon, every everything is coming via sea. So just being aware and asking for change. I, just well said, Danielle, and obviously you're deep in it. So um, maybe do you have any call to action for our listeners 
and people out there? Oh, sure. I mean, several different call to actions. One, one to you know my fellow startup uh, entrepreneurs. I I just encourage you to to keep going and don't get down. Don't get down on yourself. That's my call to action: is remain motivated, remain inspired. But then a more you know direct or easy answer is, um, if anyone is listening who does work with or represent a large company such as those uh, you know publicly stated Amazon, IKEA, uh, Patagonia, Unilever, any of these big companies that are trying to reduce or eliminate their scope three emissions, especially to do with transportation, call me. <laughs> we are actively looking for cargo clients, so off takers who will use our service. So any company that ships with containers right now, if they wish they could ship emission-free, I hope that they would give me a call. Fantastic. How can they reach you? So you can check out our website, www.veer.voyage, V-E-E-R.voyage. Um, but they can also just write to us at hello at veer.voyage and check us out on LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, but LinkedIn is probably our most used uh, social media, to call it that. Fantastic. I'll make sure to link um, all of those in our show description. And Danielle, there was that empathy for other founders also. I just have to point out that we uh, we talk a lot about the mental health of founders as you go through our programs at Seaworthy Collective, where I run the startup programs. Um, just being there as a community for each other, there's a lot of times where no one else understands except other founders. So really appreciate that you recognize and say that. Um, to stay inspired, to stay passionate. I think when people get into this, they don't realize just how tough the, the how rough the seas can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, really. So anyone who's listening here that doesn't understand what these startups are going through, whether they're really successful or they're not, it doesn't matter. So if if you're someone who's considering investing in a startup, I'm not telling you to do that, but just understand how much of their heart and soul they're giving, how many times they've been told no, how many times their company has been challenged and every point of it has been challenged and they're still going for it. And for those startups that are doing sort of clean energy, clean tech or climate oriented, the fact is they're they're fighting to help protect life as we know it on this planet. And yeah, I, I commend them for that and I thank them. So beautiful. Yeah, they. I, th I think they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't have that real motivation as, as you do. And I, I can't wait to learn a little more even about how, what you've gone through over the last few years. I know that um, in my research, I saw that you've helped build wooden vessels as well. So just a very interesting character here, Danielle. And thank you for sharing a little bit on our show today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole other chapter if you want to talk about wooden boats and wooden ships. That's a whole other <laughs> and a whole other book. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you. And, and I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. Well, I'll have you back on. I, I have so many of my guests that the conversation really gets going. And uh, I just want to dive in further. So I hope to speak to you again soon. Um, for now, I'll say thank you and thank you to the American Shoreline Podcast Network 
as well as our listeners. Don't forget to let me know if you know of an innovator that you believe is a wave maker. Uh, I invite you to drop me an email at tamara at ladybluetech.com or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks and have a good month.